The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. By hearing from his word, I invite you to open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 20. So we're covering Leviticus 18 and 20 today. And the reason why we're doing that is because Leviticus 18 lays out, these are the things you shall not do. Leviticus 20 lays out, if you do them, this is the penalty. So we, I figured we would just do it together. So Leviticus chapter 20, we're reading the whole chapter. Let's give our attention now, because this is God himself, the God of the universe who created us, who's given us breath even now, speaking to us. Leviticus 20. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people, because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father, or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace, and they shall be be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his equity. If a man lies with a woman during her menstrual period and uncovers her nakedness, 
He has made naked her fountain, and she shall, and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or of your father's sister, for that is to make naked one's relative. They shall bear their iniquity. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he shall uncover his, or he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nations that I am driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess. A land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by, by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Well, this concludes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to it. Well, it's pretty egregious when a person with a special position misuses or abuses it. So this is as if, to give an example, a law enforcement officer would use his position to steal or bur burglarize. Or if a judge takes a bribe in order to condemn the innocent. Or if a teacher abuses a student. Uh, these people were put in a special position. And to use their special position for sinful corruption is a travesty. Well, the Lord has placed his people in a special and distinguished position, a privileged position. He has set his people apart from all the peoples of the earth. And as such, they were to glorify him by reflecting his holy character. They were to live in accordance with this special position as God's chosen people. And this is the way it is with us. We have been chosen. We who believe in here, we have been set apart. We have been called out of this world and into God's marvelous light. We have a special and distinguished position from all the peoples of the earth in being the Lord's. And as such, we are to live in accordance with that special set-apartness. We are to be holy as God Himself 
is holy. To live in sin or work in darkness is like someone in authority in a special position abusing it, using it for evil. So there's three considerations for our holiness from this, the passages we're looking at. The first is with regards to the Lord. The second is with regards to the law. And the third is with regards to the lewdness. First, the Lord. Now, one thing you may have noticed, especially in chapter 18, is this short phrase, I am the Lord, repeated over and over again. It's repeated seven times in chapter 18. It's repeated four times in the first six verses of chapter 18 alone. Now, what is this about? Well, to understand the significance of this, we have to understand a piece of the historical background here, particularly what's called ancient Near Eastern treaties or Hittite treaties. This is when a powerful king called a suzerain would rescue a less powerful people called vassals from their enemies. And that king, after he did that, would then enter into a covenant with them where he would promise, I'm going to continue to protect you. But you must serve me as your king. You must be loyal to me. And how these treaties would begin with the king identifying himself. I am king so-and-so who has done this for you. Therefore, you shall be loyal to me. Very important to these treaties is the king identity. And we have something similar going on here. Where God is saying, I am the Lord. Not only does he say, I am the Lord, he repeats it seven times. And you notice that Lord is in all caps in some of your versions. This is the Hebrew word Yahweh. The covenant name of God which was revealed to Moses in the burning bush. Now when God revealed his name in that burning bush, that remember that flame that was in the bush but the bush was not consumed? God was communicating some truths to his people in that. It's common knowledge that a fire needs fuel to burn. Right? The minute you remove whatever it's feeding off of, it dies. This is why we need to keep feeding logs into uh, the fire. Because a fire doesn't exist apart from what it feeds off of. But this flame, where God revealed his name, this flame is an independent flame. This flame is in the midst of the bush, but it's not consuming the bush. This flame is not feeding off of the bush in order to exist. This is a special flame, an independent flame. And what God is picturing here to Moses as he reveals his name to him is that he is completely independent. He does not in any way depend on his creation in order to be, in order to exist, in order to be who he is. His life is of himself, having all his existence in and of himself and deriving nothing from anything or anyone outside of himself. And it's in this context that God reveals his name to Moses by saying, I am. It's the verb to be. He simply is. He's a self-existent one who in no way is dependent on anything or anyone. Creation does not feed or fan this flame. And so he is, he always is who he is and never becomes. He uses the verb to be, not to become. 
The creation cannot make the I am become anything. And this is the background with the name Yahweh because the name Yahweh is a derivative of this name I am. So when God says, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, it's going back to God revealing Himself in this independent flame where He says, I am. And so what God is saying here with this biblical background to His people in Leviticus as He's given them His law is don't forget who I am. Don't forget who you are serving. In order to serve God, we need to know who our God is. But as we see in the flame in the bush, while God is in no way dependent or feeds off of His creation, He is nevertheless in the midst of His creation. In fact, it's precisely because God does not depend on us in any way that He can be there for us and with us. That He is that solid rock. The same flame that was in the bush on the mountain came down to lead His people out of Egypt in that pillar of fire by night. He is not only the I Am, He is who He is, no matter what. So you can always depend upon Him, because He's in no way dependent upon us. He is also with us. He is also for us. He is the God of His people, who brought His people out of their old life of slavery, through the blood of a Passover lamb, to be their God, and they to be His people, that they may commune with Him, Enjoy Him forever in the promised land. And this is why they are to be holy, as chapter 20, verses 7 and 8 says. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So they are to be holy because of who their God is. He is the Lord who sanctifies them. God's the one who sanctifies His people. Now, sanctification is used in two senses in the Bible. The first sense is in a positional sense, being set apart, being pulled out of this world and into His marvelous light, being distinct from all people because of God's saving work. So this happens when God saves us. When He brings His gospel to bear in our hearts that we believe. And when we believe, we pass from death to life. We are called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Christ. The second sense that sanctification is used in the Bible is in the progressive sense. That is, our behavior is set apart more and more as we are conformed into the image of Christ, looking less and less like our old life in this world and more and more like Christ. And God is the one who does them both for His people. Not only did God save us in regenerating us and giving us a new heart, a heart that wants to know God, that has interest in Him and His Word, that loves Him. God is also the one who is at work in us, both to will and to work 
for His good pleasure. And brothers and sisters, because He is our God who sanctifies us, we are to be holy. Since He has rescued us out of our old life, called us out of this darkness and into His marvelous light, we are to no longer live like this world because we have this special position, holy and set apart. We are to live in accordance with this special position by being holy. A second consideration for our holiness that we saw first who the Lord is, second, the law. Because He is our God, because He is their God in Israel who has redeemed them out of their old life of slavery, and is bringing them into the promised land. We read in verses 3-4, through You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules, and keep my statutes, and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. So because God is their God who redeemed them to Himself, bringing them out of Egypt and into a life with Him in the promised land, God tells them, don't walk as the Canaanites walk. Don't walk as the Egyptians walk. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk. And the same is true for us who have been called out of this world. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now there's actually a significant difference as it pertains to God's law in the unfolding of redemptive history. Look at verse 5 here, where it says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, He shall live by them. I am the Lord. So God says here that if a person does his commandments, that is, keeps his law, that person will live by them. That is, will live by doing them. Now, the sense is not that whoever obeys the commandments is living in accordance with them. That's unnecessarily redundant. Rather, what this is saying is that the one who has done the commandments the one who has obeyed them completely, that person will gain life by having done them. And obviously this means more than physical life because you have to already be alive in order to do God's commandments. It doesn't make sense to say, uh, the one who keeps my commandments, then his heart will start beating. You have to be already physically alive to do these commandments. So when God says, If you do them, you will gain life. It has to be a greater life than a physical life. And those who were in the the men's most recent men's study will be familiar with this from our book study, Adam and the Covenant of Works. What we are reading here in Leviticus 18.5 is what theologians have called the covenant of works. A covenant, an agreement that God makes with man that's based on On their works. I will give you a reward if you do my commandments, and if you don't, you will receive a curse. In order 
to gain eternal life, you have to keep my commandments in this covenant of works. And this is the way it was with Adam. This goes all the way back to Adam in the garden, who was physically alive, but did not yet have eternal life. He had to do this and live. He had to keep God's commandments and live. And Jesus affirms this covenant of works in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. I'm not going to have you turn there, but briefly, when the lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus points him to the law. He says, how do you interpret the law? And this lawyer says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as your, yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. You have summed up the law correctly, referring to the moral law of God. And then he goes on to say, do this and you will live. So in answer to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments, do the law, and you will live. You will gain eternal life. Jesus is quoting Leviticus 18.5. Now the issue is not that what Jesus is saying is untrue. Jesus never says anything untrue. The issue is that we are unable to do it because of our sin. But it's required of man to, to do this and live. The problem is that we are unable to do it. In fact, this is why God gave Israel the law in this format. If a man does it, he shall live by it. He gave them this old covenant in this format, format of do this and live. Do this if you want to have long life in the land as a type that points back to Adam. If you do this, Adam, you will gain eternal life with me forever. But it also points forward to Jesus because, brothers and sisters, we have failed to do this. We cannot do this. And so praise be to God that the law was perfectly fulfilled, not by us, but by our Lord. He is the one who kept the law for us so that we would get credit for having obeyed it, having done it, and therefore receive the reward of eternal life. We get eternal life because of Jesus' perfect doing of the law in our place. Jesus came to live for us. Our Lord Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law so that He would rescue us from its requirements of do this and live. Jesus fulfills that for us. And this is why it's crucial to read each verse of the Bible, not in isolation from each other, but in light of the whole of Scripture, in light of the whole storyline of the Bible. If we just read Leviticus 18.5, we might think that we, we need to keep the law or we're going to get kicked out. Israel was given these laws. They didn't do well. They ended up getting kicked out. Maybe that applies to us. Not if we consider that our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who obeyed for us. And so we read in Romans 10 that Christ Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. The righteousness one needs to stand before God to all who believe. Christ has fulfilled all the requirements of the law for us to have eternal life. Now, do we still obey the law? Yes, absolutely. 
But we do not obey the law for life. Do this if you want to live. Rather, we obey the law from life. From the life that we have through faith in Christ. We do not keep the law in order to atone for our guilt, to make up for any sin, or so that there's no possibility of us standing guilty one day before God. We read clearly in Scripture that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Rather, we rest on Christ, His righteousness and atoning sacrifice, which has forever saved us, which has forever secured us in eternal life. And by virtue of this, we also believe that we have power over sin because we have died with Christ. We've been buried with Him. We've been raised with Him to new life. His resurrected life is our life. We live because of Christ. We have eternal life by virtue of our union with His resurrected life. So sin no longer has dominion over us. And we also believe that when Christ appears, we will be like Him. And it's by believing these promises, beloved, these truths of the gospel, that we then obey. This is what it means to obey from life, by believing all the truths and promises of the gospel so that we have power and strength for the difficult task of fighting against sin. Indeed, we must put in effort and work to fight sin and walk in holiness. But that power, strength, and motivation we need to exert effort against sin does not come from the law. Do this and live. Do this or you might not make it to life. Do this or else. It's it's hinging on your obedience. But rather, the motivation, power, and strength we have to obey comes from the gospel. That we live in Christ because you live. Do this. As the 18th century Scottish reformer John Calhoun said, The law says, do and you shall live. You shall, by performing personal and perfect obedience, entitle yourselves to eternal life. Whereas the gospel says, live, for all is already done. All the, righteous meritori- all the righteousness meritorious of eternal life for believers is already fulfilled by the second Adam. First, Live in union and communion with Christ and then do not for, but from life already received. And as Calhoun goes on to say, as long as believers do not obey the law for life, but from life, they count obedience to it, not only their duty, but their great privilege and pleasure. Third and final consideration for our our holiness. So we've seen first, the Lord. Second, the law. Third, the lewdness. And this is referring to just how disgusting and ludicrous these sins listed in these chapters of Leviticus are. God refers to them as an abomination, as perverseness, as depravity. In fact, you're probably thankful that the majority of the sermon hasn't been uh, on explaining these things because they they are quite uh, disgusting. These are things that God hates and abhors. 
that we likewise are to hate and abhor. However, these are things that the nations around them did. So there's nothing new under the sun. But these are things that we, as God's chosen redeemed people, who are to keep the law not for life, but from life, are to avoid. And so we read in verse 6, None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. I am the Lord. Uh, so this is referring to incestuous relationships, those that are too close of a family relation to, to marry. And uncovering nakedness is a Hebrew idiom for a sexual relationship. Sometimes that refers to one's spouse. Uh, uncovering the uh, uh, nakedness of a man is to uh, have a sexual relationship with his spouse. And then relationships that uh, would be considered incestuous, we'll just briefly run down. Uh, verse 7 is uh, one's with one's mother. The penalty, according to 2011, is that both of them shall be put to death. And of course, this implies that both parties were consenting. Verse 8 says a father's wife, which is referring to a stepmother. Penalty is the same as with a mother. It's death. And this is the sin that the Corinthians allowed in their congregation that the Apostle Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, 2014 mentions a mother-in-law, the penalty of which is both are burned. Eighteen nine refers to a sister and a half-sister, where the siblings share at least one biological parent, uh, perhaps through a remarriage. That's the penalty is given in 2017, which is to be cut off. That's to be excommunicated from the people of God and left basically in the wilderness to die. Verse 10 refers to a granddaughter, and by inference, even though this is not explicitly mentioned anywhere, in our passage, it would also refer to a daughter because that's a closer relationship than a granddaughter. Verse 11 refers to a stepsister. Verses 12 through 14 refers to uh, aunts and by implication uncles, uh, whether biological relation or by marriage. The penalty in 2019 through 20 is to die childless. And what this means is that their family line is cut off and not recognized. They don't, their family name does not continue which is a big, big deal in their day. Verse uh, 15 refers to a daughter-in-law, uh, the penalty of which is stated in 2012. Both of them are put to death, again implying both consented. Verse 16 refers to a brother's wife, so a sister-in-law. The penalty is stated in 2021, which is that they die childless. Again, their family lines cut off. Verse 17 refers to step-granddaughters. Verse 18 refers to taking your wife's sister while she's alive as a rival wife. So this would be a polygamous relationship. Now we move out of incestuous relationships and into other sins. Verse 19 refers to having relations with a woman while in her menstrual cycle. The penalty is stated in 2018, which is both of them are cut off. They're excommunicated into the wilderness away from God's people. Now, this at first seems to contradict Leviticus 15.25, or, or rather 15.24, which says that if a man lies with a woman in her menstrual cycle, he shall be unclean for seven days, whereas in 2018 it says that both of them are cut off. And the inference seems to be is whether or not they knew about it, uh, whether or not it was just the start or, or the end versus actually doing it when they know it. If they did it knowingly, they get cut off rather than just go through ritual cleanliness. Verse 20 refers to adultery, the penalty of which is death for both. 
Then in verse 21, we read of people offering their children to Molech. Uh, this was a false god to whom people offered up their children by having them pass through the fire. So they would have their children and even infants go through the fire, uh, burned to death in order to offer them up to this god, Molech. And today you'll hear people refer to abortion as uh, Molech worship. And it really is egregious where a helpless, tiny, growing baby in a mother's womb is ripped limb by limb and chemically burned. And uh, I actually think it's worse than Moloch worship because it's offering up the child for oneself so that one can live however they want to, where they really are Moloch. They themselves are, are their own God. Now, Moloch worship is mentioned in this section because it's the fruit of one's sexual union. It's a blessing. Having children is a, is a blessing. Then verse 22 mentions homosexuality, a man marrying a man or a woman marrying a woman. And young people in here, that you are growing up in a culture where they expect you to celebrate this, where they will call you evil and bad if you uh, say anything bad uh, about this. And this is because uh, they don't want to feel any shame for this. And so they're trying to protect themselves from shame and condemnation and judgment. But who's our authority? Is the authority the world? Or is the authority the Word of God? That's really the issue here. Who's the authority? The one who created the world and created marriage and created us? Or the wicked world out there that hates God and hates His, and hates his Word? But God says here it is evil and wrong. And the penalty is stated in 2013, they shall both surely be put to death. They have committed an abomination of something really evil that God hates. And verse 23 mentions bestiality. And 2015 through 16 says the penalty is for both the human and the animal to die. And the animal dies because the animal has been defiled by this act. Then in 26 and 2027, mediums and necromancers are mentioned. These are those who try to contact dead spirits through magic or some sort of drug use. Uh, we see this today in things like Wiccan, witchcraft, Ouija board, uh, fortune tellers, tarot cards, uh, palm reading, good luck charms, all sorts uh, of things. Uh, these are attributing the power of God to a creaturely thing and trusting in them to guide you rather than in the Lord and worshiping Him alone. Those who practice this are put to death, and those who go to those who practice this are cut off. And then 29 refers to cursing one's parents. Now, this is more than talking back or an angry comment. Now, this is wishing harm on your parents, which stems from hatred, a great dishonoring of them. And God sees this as a serious sin in dishonoring one's parents. And so for just this speech, one is put to death. Now, some people will argue, this is Old Testament. This is Levitical law. This is Old Covenant. This does not apply today. The whole Old Testament is brushed off and we just move on and no longer keep any of it. And it's true that part of the Old Covenant is no longer kept, but we do read, and Pastor Tim mentioned this in Scripture reading, that God drove out the Canaanites 
because of this. We see that in 18, 24 through 25. Because they practiced these things. They were judged for practicing these things even though they never had the book of Leviticus read or written for them. Even before uh, the book of Leviticus was written and as God speaking these things, he's already made his determination that he was going to punish them for these sins. They are liable for these sins and are punished for them. And we read the Apostle Paul say in Romans 1 and 2 that these things are known by nature. That is innately and intuitively. And God's wrath is revealed against those who do these things. And Paul also warns in 1 Corinthians 6, as Pastor Tim also read uh, today, that those who practice such things, that is who live in them unrepentant, who don't repent of them, including homosexuality, will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not go to heaven. So these continue to be sins today. But these continue to be sins that can be fully forgiven and washed away. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 6, Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. That is, you were set apart by God. You were called out of this darkness, out of this old life of slavery. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God is pleased and delighted to save such vile sinners. No matter who you are or what you have done, you can come to God turning from these sins and turning to Him and He will forgive you. He will wash you. He will accept you freely in Christ and clothe you with that righteousness that Christ has earned for you all as a free gift. And this is because Christ was put to death for such sins. Christ was cut off for such sins. Christ was vomited out of the land, as it were, for such sins. Being crucified outside the camp and the Father forsaking Him. God set His face against Christ, pouring His wrath out on Him for such sins so that it could be said of those who believe such were some of you but you're forgiven you're washed you're justified you're declared righteous god justifies the ungodly for those who have turned from their sin and turned to christ and so for those of us for whom this is true who have such a special and privileged position, may we no longer walk in any of these sins, in any sort of impurity. May we no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the lust of the flesh and the impurities of their heart and the ignorance of their minds, but as those who have been called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light, brothers and sisters, may we be holy as our Lord God is holy. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your help because we are sinners. We're no different than anyone in this world. The only difference is, is that you are gracious to us. We heard your word. You granted to us faith and repentance. And you rescued us. And as those who have been rescued, oh God, help us to walk 
out this special position we have that is being one of yours. May we be holy, God, as you are holy. Give us great help, knowing that we have all that in Christ by virtue of our union with him. That because we live, we obey the law, not for life, but from the life we have in Christ. We ask for your help, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.